Hello, people. Welcome to another episode of Space Flicks. This is Space the podcast <laughs> where we just... <laughs> Space Flicks, uh, the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut out in space. And today we're talking about Finch, starring Finch. Tom Hanks. Finch. Starring... Yeah, you're, you're much better at the voice. <laughs> um, I think you're actually better. I'm doing more of a generic robot voice, but... Uh, this is a movie that uh, uh, features a robot and a human and a dog, basically. Mm-hmm. Those All are the need. three characters. It's everything um, in the movie. Ooh, sorry if I just made a noise there. Uh, on Apple TV Plus, I believe this will be the first Apple TV Plus film we've reviewed on this podcast. And I, I know right, that yeah. because I had to subscribe to Apple TV Plus to watch this movie. So that's how much I wanted to see this movie. <laughs> Thus begins Apple TV Plus's rich cinematic history. It starts now. That's right. It didn't I mean, exist as far as I'm concerned before this right. movie. They might have made movies before now, but in the space flicks canon, this is where they at where Apple TV Plus this is really where it begins. begins this is exist. their big. This is their. This is their big uh, opening to the world. Finch. Finch. <laughs> um, yep. Uh, so speaking of, you know, looking forward to this film, well, actually let's do a synopsis cause we like to give a little synopsis of the film up top. Mm-hmm. Adam, you got it ready? Yeah. On a post apocalyptic earth, a robot built to protect the life of his creator's beloved dog learns about life, love, friendship, and what it means to be human. All right. Well, a heartwarming you- tale. You can you can see right there. Got all the ingredients for a for yeah truly inspirational post apocalyptic story. So uh, I I didn't know this going in. So it, I really I can't say it affected my expectations for the movie. But this was Miguel Sapochnik, mm-hmm. yeah, who I recognize that name. That's the that's a Game of Thrones uh, director. If yes, I that's recall. right. He. He directed some very noteworthy episodes of Battle Game of, of the Thrones. Bastards, right? Yeah, including Battle of the Bastards, which is, you know, I I would agree is probably one of the great like Stronger, action yeah. episodes of television ever. I made. think didn't he kind of establish himself as like the action guy for Game of Thrones? Like the episodes that had big battles. Yeah, that yes, that's absolutely him. right. He did he also did in the final season of Game of Thrones, he did the long night where they like fight the whites the and the army white of walkers the dead. And, yeah, yeah the army of the dead like the in walkers, the middle of the right. night which is the episode that i think lots of people were like that was too dark yeah that was like <laughs> yeah. visually too dark yeah um and but well, yeah it all you know i kind of wish i saw that episode uh like in a movie theater you know projected right because it, it almost felt like um i don't know this i'm not i'm not educated enough on you know film technology to have an informed opinion, but I, I think I heard or read that people speculated, I guess that it was sort of miscalibrated for most people's TVs, that that it probably was filmed with sufficient lighting. But when you translate to digital streaming that, you know, with compression and everything, it just ended up being in people's living rooms. It was far too dark. Yeah. And also like, which is a shame if you're watching in a well-lit room, right? And you don't have like the lights out, 
right? You know, yeah. like all of these things. So at any rate, uh, the point being, Miguel Sapochnik is obviously like most well known for being a television director, especially mm -hmm. on Game of Thrones, especially for big episodes that feature sort of epic action sequences. That's kind right. of like how he cut his teeth and made a name for himself. So it makes sense then that he would direct a movie with a cast of basically one uh, featuring mostly the road tripping of a robot, a dog and like a, a grumpy old man. Yes, it makes perfect sense. I, I assume you're being sarcastic. <laughs> no, it's 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 insane. Um, uh, right. The, but he, yeah, it, it, it seems like quite a leap for him. Right. And it, in some ways, it's um, I understand it. Uh, I, I, you know, without trying to dive into like the psychology of it, if you had made a name uh, as a director directing these big action sort of sequences, but you personally were like, you know, I can do more. Right, you don't want to be pigeonholed. Stuff, right. You would probably naturally want to sort of, if given the opportunity, right, like I'll do something small and quiet that shows that I can do like comedy and character work and, you know, like sci-fi, you know, sci-fi instead of fantasy, you know, just like a bunch yeah. of different stuff. Um, and so in that regard, uh, that did mess with my expectations though, like mm. to sort of kick off the expectations section of the podcast. Like because it was Sapochnik, Right. And because those episodes of Game of Thrones. You were like, oh, there's going to be a giant robot army battle towards the end. Well, <laughs> I thought it was going to be dark. You know what okay. I mean? I thought the movie was going to have some darkness to it. Not um, not visually, um, but just sort of like. <laughs> I know I, he I loves like, darkness. This is a post-apocalyptic film about like a guy who's desperately trying to survive. And I was like, oh, there's going to be, you know, it's going to be one of those things where like our greatest fear is each other, you know, like our greatest mm -hmm. enemy is ourselves kind of thing. Um, Cause that's how I think about post-apocalyptic stuff. Most of it has to do with like humanity uh, crumbling and like sort of yes. eating itself alive. Um, and so that was how I came into it. I sort of was expecting something like that to happen and to be very like despondent, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> like I was like, this is going to be <laughs> okay. sad and bad. Um, and so uh, without getting into any spoilers, um, I don't feel I did not have that experience. In the movie. Right. It was not as bleak as you feared. That's right. Um, I wasn't expecting that. But then again, I didn't know it was Miguel Sapochnik. So maybe that's why I wasn't expecting that. I went in knowing Tom Hanks, you know, another movie where it's basically just him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's done one like this. It's called Castaway. Very right. different uh, setting obviously but similar kind of bones right just tom hanks by himself for a huge portion of the movie now admittedly this one has a robot i don't think going in i even knew it had a robot um, oh okay yeah I, I don't think i'd seen the trailer i think i just saw some pictures with him and a dog so i thought it was gonna be him and a dog which is essentially just him right right um so i was expecting something uh I guess similar to Castaway. I was expecting, you know, a lot of good Tom Hanks dealing with being lonely and being isolated and then probably some sort of hopeful ending where he either finds people or something like that. Yeah, yeah I guess I assumed he would find, you know, people. Society, um, yeah. So uh, that was kind of my expectation. 
I would say as far as first impressions, I liked the movie. I think I liked it about as much as I thought. I don't, I'm not someone who loves Castaway. Um, okay. I, I think that's a good movie. I think this is a good movie. Castaway certainly I think is a better movie. It's also more original. Um, but I liked Finch. I, I don't think it really disappointed me much. Well, I will say, if anything, it was it was sort of lighter than I expected. Yeah. Um, in in a way that I find very acceptable because, um, it's lighter like by intention. It feels like it feels like the yeah. movie doesn't try to get super to like really deeply probe the depths of the human psyche or anything no. like that. It felt more almost just like a, you know, like a buddy movie with him and his robot basically. Right. Right. And the robot's kind of a likable in it's the robot is essentially like a child and he's right. And it's sort of like a man and his son, <laughs> you know, it could easily be the story of like a man and his son. Right. Um, and him teaching his son some life lessons. So, uh, so I appreciated that it's not like it tried to be really deep and failed. I felt like it didn't really try to be very deep. It just tried to be, you know, a movie where Tom Hanks gets to be a, a lovable old man sort of taking care of and mentoring a more innocent other character. And, in that sense, I thought it was good. Which, come to think of it, <laughs> I totally forgot we recently reviewed News of the World, which was also like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of forgot about that. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Uh, didn't really love it. How about you? Yeah, just, um, News of the World did condition me a little bit for this movie in a way mm -hmm. that I think was actually like inaccurate. Meaning, News of the World, we reviewed it on this podcast, you know, has... <clears throat> It, it, it very much is interested in that setting of like the frontier and the old West as a, um, an opportunity for sort of like the baser instincts in humanity to sort of like flourish depending on like where you are. Um, and so that's sort of what I expected to happen here. Like at one point in the movie news of the world, he ends up in sort of like this dystopian town that's run by like a some kind of magnate of industry right. who like insists on the press being like a tool of propaganda and you know the movie makes sort of a very pointed you know like tom hanks will not stand for this type point um and so i sort of expected the same thing with finch i was like oh there's gonna be like a a roving band of cannibals that wants to eat the dog or something right like yeah um and you know, well, cannibals would probably want to eat him. To be sure. <laughs> Opportunistic omnivores. Um, uh, and so, um, you know, the movie's much gentler than that. Right. Yeah. I think there's, there's some hint of, you know, Mad Maxian type of post-apocalyptic hellscape, mm -hmm. but they never explicitly go there um, or very, very indirectly go there. Uh, and so in that regard, yeah, it was a much, um, a much gentler movie. It ended up really feeling like, you know, something like, like a bunch of gentle movies combined, like Castaway plus Wally plus the Martian. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, take, 
Plus Chappie. You ever see Chappie? I never saw Chappie. <laughs> um, you got to see Chappie. But, uh, you know, it's just sort of like, okay, great. These are all movies about like a sole protagonist, like marooned, you know, in a place. And they have to like use their intelligence and grit to survive. And it's like, you know, that that's it. I remember when Tom Hanks made Castaway, um, I remember watching an interview with him at that time. And they were like, you know, not much happens in this movie. It's not very exciting. And his sort of feet, his sort of response to that was like, it's a person like struggling to survive. What could be more interesting mm-hmm. than that? And it's like, well, <laughs> there could be a lot that's more interesting than that potentially. Um, depends on how you do it. He's like, my uh, acting was amazing. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. But it just sort of that, I remember that interview from, you know, whatever, whenever Castaway was made 20 plus years ago. Um, and thinking like, oh, that's an interesting insight into what Tom Hanks thinks is interesting. Right. 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 Just like a person struggling to survive. That's the best story there is. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hence he made uh, a movie like this, you know, 20 years later, it's about a guy trying to survive. And it's like Tom Hanks is, this is sort of like it's interesting how like the projects that an actor picks or that a person picks like sort of tells on themselves about like what they think is interesting or what they think is good um Mm -hmm. and it's like you know uh tom Mm -hmm. hanks likes watching tom hanks by himself (laughs) on a screen you know what i mean like i think that maybe yeah not exclusively, but it's like a genre of film that like Tom is like, yeah, I'd make another one of those of just like me doing stuff for two hours. Um, so, uh, yeah. So anyway, so did you much, like this movie? I did. I liked it. Right. Um, yeah. Be- because, um, because it zigged where I thought it would zag. Um, because I thought the robot was much more charming than, mm. I would I anticipated uh, in fact I mean you mentioned before we started recording that you kind of imagined that maybe the title of the movie ought to be the robot's name mm-hmm. right and I sort of felt the same way as but then the it would just unfolded. be called Jeff I know like <laughs> um <laughs> which would have been a terrible title or they could have um, called it Jeff the robot <laughs> <laughs> the Adventures of Jeff and Finch, or they could have um, called it Spaceman from Pluto, mm-hmm. right? Which is wasn't that what the title for Back to the Future? Yeah, um, suggested title suggested by a producer Spaceman from Pluto. Um, but uh, something that I, I, the the way the balance of the film was set up initially, just by the like the trailer and the artwork, I wasn't totally sure how to think about the the three presences in the film basically finch jeff the robot and uh goodyear the dog mm-hmm. and i was like uh and it felt to me i was like if this is a story about a man and his dog like the robot feels like dead weight mm-hmm. right the robot's just sort of like a weird sci-fi flourish that i didn't understand like why do you have to have a robot in a movie about a man and his dog? <laughs> right, right. Right. Um, and at the end of the film, I was like, honestly, I feel like in a way the robot's the main character of the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. He's the one who actually like changes and grows and like, yeah, 
his and I feel like Finch is much le- his his journey is actually much smaller than than the robots. Well, right? it's just like any other movie like this. The the robot ends up teaching Finch something about himself. Maybe the robot's right. more human than the human. Right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's like classic thing. He learns um, a thing or two. Yeah. But I think that that worked for me in this particular case because I actually quite liked Jeff. Um, yeah. I thought he was like a winning creation. I thought he was funny, um, odd, you know, yeah. like, and I thought he was well written, right? Like, I feel like the way the movie sort of very methodically like uses stuff that Jeff learns throughout the film and like, mm-hmm he sort of keeps cycling back to the things he learns just like any child would, right? Like I know a limited number of things. And so I'm going to apply those limited number of things in all situations. Cause it's what yeah. I know. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, I liked how, how, uh, much gentler the movie was and how it subverted my expectation about like, who are my sympathies going to be with? I felt like the robot was going to be just sort of like an ornament. And he was, I thought, you know, much more significant than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's so interesting. I don't know where to put this comment, so I'll just make it now. It's so interesting to me seeing movies like this where it seems to become increasingly more standard to depict AI in this very sympathetic light. Uh-huh. And it's very strange to me because, you know, if you compare it to like Terminator or mm-hmm. the movie I robot, like movies that were made more in like the nineties, two thousands, I think they sort of predicted this much more hostile AI of the mm-hmm. future. Yeah. Which I think we're closer to than ever. <laughs> right. But today we seem to be more like, no, I bet if we made a robot with like, you know, human like learning ability that it would just be like an innocent child and would be basically be good deep down. Right. (laughs) And I find movies like this kind of weird. I'm like, why would you think that it would be like that? (laughs) Right. Right. I don't know. I think this, this whole thing with the four directives, I think this is very wishful thinking. If you think they're going to be as effective as they are in this movie, every machine learning algorithm out there is figuring out how to extract money from you constantly. Right. Like it doesn't view you as a, the 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 machine does not view you as a as like a valuable thing to be protected and cherished it views you as a yeah. resource to be mined right it it, it just like, feels very naive to me to to think that it's almost like if a thing can learn you know like our brains can then we assume it would sort of be human like and start yeah. from a place of innocence and curiosity and you know, just kind of grow from there. And I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think we know how to make stuff like our brains. I think we only know how to make hyper optimized stuff that'll probably, you know, behave in so many ways we don't understand and won't be able to predict and it'll be terrible, but hope to be proven wrong. Anyway, uh, let's talk themes. But I think that's an interesting point you're making. And maybe that dovetails with the theme section, which is like, this movie, unlike I feel like a lot of post-apocalyptic movies, and this is not a point I've thought through, so forgive me if it doesn't really hold water, but like I feel like this movie is basically sort of very resigned 
to the idea of like humanity is over, mm-hmm. you know, and it's sort of like it's up to you, Jeff, the robot to sort of like carry on in our stead. And we hope that you will be better than mm. than us. Right. And I think in some ways the movie's like and Jeff will be better because he's so pure of heart. Yeah. Right. Um, but I feel like that's a really unusual stance for a post-apocalyptic movie to take. Like most things are either like um, we have to sort of restart humanity, right? In the form of like, you know, Wally is basically doing that. Wally's like, we have to go back to Earth and we have to fix it so that we can regrow humanity and become you know, paradise again. Not a bunch of flat, fat blobs anymore. Right. Yeah. We'll get some exercise. We'll hit the stairmaster. We'll yeah. plant some trees. Right. We got this. Right. Um. Uh. Even a movie like I Am Legend. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Okay. Well. Uh. I won't spoil it. But suffice to say, the thrust of the film is like, how do we rekindle humanity? Right. right. How do um, yeah, because it's zombies, right? And Will Smith right, is yeah. like so the how only do we like zombie? How do we get out of this situation and sort of like rediscover, you know, and like um, you know, figure out a way for humanity to become like a viable uh, you know, species on this planet again. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like this movie, like, there is no Finch is under no effort, has like no interest in prolonging the human race, you know, finding a cure finding a solution right that's like typically the thrust of most apocalyptic movies he's just like i just need someone to take care of the dog until the dog dies yeah right like that but there also are it's yeah it almost feels like the movie is a little um well the point of view of the movie finch's point of view is kind of agnostic towards the future of humanity because there are other humans in this world, right, right? Right. He is aware of them. He's scared of them. Right. And it's sort of, to me, it's like he's, he, he doesn't view, it's not a goal of his to prolong humanity. Right. But it's also not the case that it's like, if I don't do something, we're all going to go extinct. Like there are other people carrying on. Right. So I think he doesn't view it as, up to him or something he needs to help with. Right. I guess. And that's just kind of unusual. For yeah. A you're right. Apocalyptic movie. Right. Like most post-apocalyptic movies are centered on the one or two people who are like, I'm going to figure out this problem. I'm going to like, you know, rebirth humanity somehow. Yeah. Right. It feels more like uh, maybe like a quiet place to me. Right. Like the first right. movie. That's, that's an example where they don't have any goal of, you know, restoring right. civilization it's just yeah. survival survive the night Th- right. this one is similar to that yeah that's true it's a good point um, um so so at any rate yeah because it's just it's it just um it makes it different even though it's like mm-hmm. got so many of the same trappings as most apocalyptic movies it just doesn't have the same thrust you know like the goal of the character has nothing to do with beating the apocalypse right Right. It has everything to do with just sort of like, sur- like, and he's like, I'm not going to survive it. Right. Yeah. Like I can only hope that my dog lives, you know, lives to the ripe old age of 14, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's it. 
It it is kind of funny when it's, you know, um, like to your point, just kind of add to that, you know, he does he literally doesn't know anybody uh, or right. that we know of in this movie. Right. So it's not like reproducing, you know, creating right. children is an option. And he also only has the one dog. There's no other dog. So it's not like the dog can have children. Yeah. So it makes the robot really it is just to prolong the dog's life to the end of the dog's natural life. And then it really will be the end. Right. Right. There's nothing yeah. beyond that. It's not my not my problem anymore. Yeah. It's that just point in time. I mean, but in fairness, you know, if I had my child in that situation, I would want the same thing, I suppose. Yeah. You know, for them to live as long as possible. But there is something it's almost like you don't want to think about it too much. Because then you're like, why do you want them to live as long as possible so that they can just live until they're old, completely alone and then die? Like, is that right. better? <laughs> How much right. better is that? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It just feels better for them to live longer than for them to, you know, right. die young. And there's, um, there's something different about the quality of a dog versus a person, obviously. Like, you know, the a dog doesn't make plans for the future. A dog doesn't yeah. like seek some higher purpose than to exist day mm-hmm. in day out um and so like there's something uncomplicated about a dog but that's sort of the point that i was making is like this movie has sort of a resigned quality to it that's very mm-hmm. different um compared yeah. to most other ap- post-apocalyptic movies which are sort of like you know rage against the dying of the light kind of thing right this movie's not that this movie's like the, the light is dying let's be clear <laughs> right like we're just going to try to like ride out our days with as many cans of canned peaches as possible. That's right. Well, does this, does this um, fit at all into any themes you want to discuss for this movie? Uh, there is something like, I mean, th- they talk quite a bit about, um, there's, there's an interesting thing. They talk a lot about trust in this movie. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think maybe the the anecdote in the story that to me most uh, aptly communicates what the movie has to say about trust is when Jeff asks Finch, he's like, what is trust? And Finch tells a story about how uh, he solved a work problem all by himself <laughs> and then gave credit <laughs> to the whole team. Uh-huh. And then uh, the boss, the head honcho of the company understood that Finch kind of like really was the man who solved Mm -hmm. the problem and that he just gave credit to his team uh, because you have to do that. Right. Right. And Jeff sort of like thinks about this for a moment. He goes, I don't think that I understand what trust is. I don't think the story explains what trust is. And Finch sort of like, you know, Finch is like, I trusted my teammates. I had to pretend. Yeah, I had to pretend like I trusted my teammates, right? And Finch is like, but that, or Jeff is like, but that doesn't really tell me anything about trust. And I feel like that story sort of, I think, is indicative of what the movie's like position on trust is. It's like, it would like to be about trust. <laughs> You're saying that story is a, right. is a good symbol of the entire movie's depiction of trust? Right, it would like to be about that topic, but doesn't know what it has to say about it, and so it just sort of like invokes it repeatedly without 
actually making any sort of statement about well, yeah, I, trust. To me, it feels like the movie just completely drops the thread. It, right. It just forgets that, that that's what it was going to be about. It has something to do with the dog trusting Jeff by the end. Yeah, right. I guess. But it's, but again, <laughs> it's I, I agree. Like, but I think this is like, this is like on paper, the seeming interest that the movie has. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then to your point, it just drops it or doesn't really reconcile it at all. And so yeah. you're left with sort of like, was that movie about anything? Right. <laughs> I, I think, um, I have a unique perspective on this, which I think we should revisit and fix the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think the movie, I, I'm with you in that. I ultimately, I don't think the movie is very much about trust. Although you, Raise a good point, you know, you know, getting the dog, getting Goodyear to trust uh, Jeff is is one arc of the movie. But mm-hmm. to me, what it ends up feeling like it's more about is kind of just the question of what makes life worth living. You know, what is yeah. what what is life even for? Like, what is what is the point of surviving? Yeah, um, you know, and I, I, to me, it's like a you know, in that sort of cliched way of, oh, the student sort of teaches the teacher. So I think Jeff Jeff yeah. kind of seems to help Finch realize the the just the inherent value of relationships. Right. And um, to me, that feels more like the center of the movie thematically is like Finch was kind of living for this dog. Mm-hmm. You know, which still was keeping him going. Yeah. But whereas he created this robot thinking like you are only you just serve a function. You know, I'm you've only, I've only created you to help take care of this dog. Right. Jeff kind of, you know, worms his way into Finch's heart over the course of the movie and helps him to understand like there is room in my heart for, you know, for another relationship to feel something resembling love towards another person and that is kind of what makes life good that that seems to me like if there's a if there's a message the movie's trying to convey it feels like it's that you know because it makes you the audience kind of fall for jeff as well you start you he starts as you know you see him booting up you see like a terminal showing just very computer Mm -hmm. jargony kind of statuses and he's yeah. like nodding his head very mechanically and you view it just as a thing. Yeah. But over the course of the movie, you're like, oh, I actually care about this guy, you know? Right. Um, so so it, it does. It seems to me that the movie started off heading towards a message about trust, but ended mm-hmm. up being more just about a man and a robot, you know, caring about one another and how that gave him something enriched his life, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I think, yes, the sort of caring, caring about and caring for another being, Mm -hmm. right, is like a thing that gives you purpose and satisfaction, right? Um, uh, And that's sort of evident by the way, like, it's literally Jeff's, like, reason for existence, right? Yeah. Like, it's programmed into him that that's what, like, he needs to care about. And implicitly, one, you know, it's not too much of a leap that the movie sort of makes the argument. It's like that's kind of programmed into all of us, mm. right? Mm-hmm. To like care for 
and care about other people because it's sort of like a very solitary existence if that lens is only trained on yourself. Right. Right. Do you, was the movie clear about this? It, It wasn't clear to me. Finch's, like what Jeff was, he wasn't completely Finch's invention, was he? Uh, I assumed he was like a robot that was mass manufactured, but Finch kind of customized a little bit. I think the idea is that Finch is frankly like, I don't know what year this movie is supposed to take place. Uh Right. Uh, But I think the the implication was that Finch is kind of like a brilliant engineer and like computer programmer and 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 so so jeff is a -a one-of-a-kind robot that only finch created i think that's right yeah oh interesting and made him out of like whatever parts he could create or had from like the the plant the manufacturing plant Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that he has set up shop in um uh that's my that's the sense i mean especially because like for example (laughs) like I thought it was very, very cool, uh, but also like very silly how Finch was like, I will give him knowledge by scanning the contents of like hundreds of books, mm-hmm. right? And just like, we'll just scan all these pages and we'll just like ingest the information into whatever this robot brain is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, that's how I will make him smart. Like he will machine learn his way to just absorbing all this stuff and figuring out all the patterns. Um, but then like, it's very, it was very funny to me how, you know, he's booting Jeff up and he's like uploading information to Jeff's brain. And it's like, uh, we're only 70 some odd percent of the way to uploading all the information. And I was like, this is just like text that you scanned, uh-huh. right? How many books did Finch scan? <laughs> like 10 billion. billion books, right? Like, yeah. yeah. This stuff oh, should I'm upload sorry. very fast. Is the yeah. manual for the RV extremely right. data rich, right? Like, um, yeah. it's sort of fun. Like, it was fine. It was movie logic stuff, but it was just sort of funny to me. It's like, you can invent a robot. Mm-hmm. That has like machine learning and like natural language capabilities and has all the solved all the physical problems that robots like have to navigate. But like uploading data to its brain is like the hard part, right? Like it's oh, time no. consuming. Could be all a lot of word, data. All these words. There could be lots and, of movies and stuff going in there too. You don't that's know. That's true. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Like it's just, it was just sort of funny that like they had this very, I thought very charming way of like, Finch like strips the cover off the books and removes the spine and then like scans all these pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of like, it was like, that's very clever and like is a useful combination of like really old technology mm-hmm. and ways of thinking about information. And like, obviously this robot, which represents like the absolute cutting edge. Right. Yeah. And it was just sort of, yeah. it, and I liked it, but it was just sort of funny in hindsight thinking about like, Oh, the, the, upload speed is the bottleneck here yeah, <laughs> like yeah i would think building a super strong walking functioning robot would be like the hard part of this equation but that was easy um so uh yeah so loved i uh, at the end of the day loved jeff <laughs> jeff was very likable despite my uh despite my skepticism that he is any way close to what real 
AI at that level will behave like. Yeah. Who knows? I Maybe mean, we'll somehow find a way to program in the lovable, you know, characteristics. It's a total fantasy, right. but like, why not? This movie's quite a fantasy. This movie is a fantasy. Place. Yeah. Right. Um, let's talk best parts of the movie. Uh, I think we've already covered one. I think we both quite like Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Both the character, but also the, I got to say, the effects were quite good. He looked very real. This movie looks great. Yeah. Like for for a movie that, you know, features like a dog, Tom Hanks, and a CGI robot. I was like, this robot looks like a million dollars. I cannot, yeah. be- or more than a million dollars, frankly. Like I cannot believe how well integrated he was into the scenery and the shots. Like it just looked like he was in the same film. Like when you compare this to, I mean, not to be mean, but like a Marvel movie, mm-hmm. right? Like the CGI in Marvel movies looks like CGI. Like it looks like drawings next to people. Right. Um, yeah. And for the most uh, part, I think I, robots I, and mechanical stuff in general seems to be easier to do. Probably because we have less, what do you call it? You know, that uncanny Valley effect of right, right. We whenever, know what, Like organic things or like things that are supposed to be smooth and, you know, have lots of like kind of nuanced features like human faces, for example. Yeah. I think are seem to be much trickier, but like robots with nice flat surfaces and 90 degree angles and stuff. Yeah. I've, I found like, cause I referenced the movie Chappie earlier. That movie also has really awesome looking robots. And that was what, five years ago. But In any case, Jeff looked amazing. I agree with you. Yeah. He he was he he just he it looked like if I didn't know any better, you could have tricked me and said they actually built a robot, right? right? Who right. who they just filmed it. Um, yeah, and I, what I like about him is he doesn't like he's not all right angles and smooth surfaces. You know, he feels yeah, very not like yeah. very lived in. He feels like he was assembled from pieces of things right you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um compared to like to to reference another will smith movie like the robots in irobot right those feel yeah like like drawings those feel like cgi drawings um yeah. and so I, I just was kind of blown away by by the the special effects work in this movie specifically jeff um just because it it's very it's very rare that I, I've realized that most times that I watch movies and I see characters that are created from CGI, like I almost always I'm like I in the back of my mind I'm like I do not believe that this human being on the screen and this animated thing next to the human like mm-hmm. were actually together in the same right. space right right. Like it just there's something about it that you just don't believe it. And you're willing to suspend your disbelief because it's a movie. But like it just doesn't transport you in the same way. Yeah. But like in this movie, I was like, I believe that he is interacting with a eight foot tall robot. You know, like um, it's kind of nuts. Uh, so whoever did this, like, please get them to do more things in popular entertainments because. Who did do uh, this? I, I mean, the who did the CGI stuff. Yeah. We'll have to look at the cast and crew. Check it out later. But, uh, 
Yeah. So the, so the, um, robot was really great. I'm kind of scanning here. I don't even know what this, oh, special effects by. Yeah. Legacy effects, maybe. Looks like maybe, maybe. the company that did it. Yeah. Um, I think it was multiple companies. I, I didn't, I, I didn't realize a lot of times movies like multiple of visual effects companies will work on a given movie. Right. You work on this normal. part. We'll work yeah. on this other different part, yeah. scenes, more like for scheduling movie. purposes, like, cause you right. gotta, you got a lot of, a f- of scenes to do. So you kind of need to split it up. Right. Um, but the effects of Jeff were great. The performance of Jeff was great. Um, what's the guy's name? Caleb, Caleb Landry, Landry Jones. Jones. Yeah. yeah. Got to look out for. I, I, I'm very surprised by that because I only know him from what? I guess Get Out, Three Billboards, X-Men First Class. I don't think I even realized that was him. So Probably he's not been in a ton of things. He was. Yeah. He, he's Banshee in X-Men First Class, okay. um, according to IMDb. But yeah, thinking of him from Get Out, he's like this super creepy... You know, sort of psycho guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, And in this, in Finch, he's so gentle and endearing, right? Yeah. Um, So, hey, guy's got range. Good for him. Um, Any scenes of the movie in particular that you loved? Um, I liked anything that helped flesh out, like, what is this world, Mm -hmm. right? So... Um, the opening bit where Hanks is driving in his like t- completely tricked out like armored vehicle and then is like running away from a sandstorm. Um, the bit where uh, he's fixing the wind turbine and he sees like a lightning storm coming. Mm-hmm. The bit where they're in the RV and a tornado is going to st- strike down and they have to like stake the rv (laughs) to the ground like i liked all those things because they helped flesh out like the main problem in this world is the weather and the environment Mm -hmm. right uh it's so extreme you know when finch burns his hand by holding it in direct sunlight for a second or two it's like all this helps explain how just like deeply inhospitable earth is at this point and it feels like an alien planet right by the time yeah um and I liked that world building. I thought that really helped, I think, explain how um, how protective and how nervous Finch is, right? Because he mm-hmm. sort of views his responsibilities like, I have to protect this dog. It's the only thing I care about. And the dog doesn't know like any of this stuff. I have to do all the thinking for both of us, right? And it's sort of like, lays bare his desperation um for somebody or something to take over that responsibility when he's gone because it the world is so dangerous right that um you know you can sort of and you can see it around every corner around all these scenes that i just mentioned that like i think that helps con contextualize the character and sort of like illustrate why is he so uh like nervous and protective and irrit- irritable about any mistakes right um because yeah. the consequences are so dire yeah 
Yeah, I agree. I loved all the, especially that opening scene of just retreating from the, you know, cloud, the storm, whatever it was. Yeah. As, as ridiculous as I found it, that his little thing was like 800 feet, 700 feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like, how does that thing know? <laughs> and why is it giving right. such regular updates? Um, uh, but it was a really effective scene. And, and when he finally like gets inside with Dewey mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, makes his way down into the, you really sense like, man, it like he should stay down here where it's safe. It is not, right. <laughs> not a good idea to go out there, you know, but yeah, you also, yeah. of course, understand he has to for supplies, um, which it was a cool shorthand to just show all of the, you know, places he's already gone and gotten everything he can. Right. Right. Um, Why do you suppose, I mean, does the, I don't know if the movie takes any steps to explain this and it's fine, you know, that it just didn't happen because it's a movie, but like he's got this giant underground bunker and plenty of like electricity and apparently water. Right. Like, mm -hmm. but he just doesn't have food. That's like the main problem is they're running out of food. Why doesn't he plant any food? Well, yeah, he doesn't ever attempt to like grow anything like underground. You can do that. Like that's a thing you can do. You don't mm. need direct actual sunlight to grow things. You can use other types of lighting sources to make that work. It was just sort of like odd. That such he was a, too busy working on his robot. <laughs> right. Too busy. <laughs> I don't know, Adam. I think it's I think that's too good a question for this film to have an answer to. I mean, the movie conveniently sort of gets around it anyway, because it's like, oh, this super lightning storm that's coming, that's going right. to hover over St. Louis for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, which is a funny, like specific amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, what does that remind you of? 40 yeah. days and 40 nights. Uh, like would have he's like, that's going to destroy this facility and we're all going to die. Right. But he's, but he'd cleared dozens, if not hundreds of stores as established earlier. So he's been here for quite a while. So I think to your point there, there must've been time to at least entertain the possibility of growing something. Right. So it's, you know, maybe it's like, there's no seeds or anything. All that's all that exists are like canned peaches. Right. (laughs) Can't plant those. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, how crazy is that? Just the idea it's like, but it, like you would like to think there's got to be like a gardening store somewhere with packets of seeds that have not been irradiated by the sun. And anyway, hope. it doesn't matter. It's like, a, matter. you know, no. it's a it's a pretend thing. But it just it was just one of those things. that's like, huh, I feel like they could have used a, a line of dialogue to address mm-hmm. that. Finch, why are there no seeds? Yeah. Right, like. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah, I I did think it was funny that uh, some sometimes storytelling devices I find to be very elegant, and sometimes it's a little bit too silly. And in in this film, I think one example is one of the first sort of establishing things is you see him going to bed reading a book that's like the title of the book is like effects of radiation on. I forget exactly, <laughs> but it's like he's reading a book with that title. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I get that he wants to learn about that, but I just think it's like really weird that he's halfway through this book. Right. It's, it's like, like the white 
it's like the whiteboard in a quiet place yeah it's like what is the weakness right right yeah sound (laughs) i think i think like a you know a printed out like something that looked like an article from wicked like webmd or something right from his printer like would have felt a little more realistic yeah but he's got multiple books with titles that are just seem like questions with like two paragraph answers but they're entire books yeah um okay so i'm ready to go to fix the movie i think the i think for me the highlights are like jeff the performances and those scenes that really established the severity of the world they're in those those to me are all the highlights is there, are yeah. there any other others you want to touch on before we get to the end no i think i think uh it's a it's a cool rv so you want to call it out like the rv yeah want to hang out very there. cool he's yep. got cool he's got cool equipment in this cool movie. stuff yeah um okay so fix the movie i want to come back to something i I brought up earlier uh, about my unique perspective just because, you know, I, as I admitted to you before we started recording, uh, this movie, like other movies I've seen, I, uh, the filmmakers would not be happy with me, but I, I have been watching a lot of movies lately on an exercise bike, just on an yeah. iPad. Yeah. And this one is no different. And so I, I, you know, I watched it in sort of two parts. So I watched the Mm -hmm. first half one day and then, you know, was finished exercising for the day. And later, you know, Catherine asked me what I was watching and I was like, well, it's this movie. Tom Hanks is, you know, he's like souls, you know, he's like all alone in this post-apocalyptic world. And I have a feeling that the way the movie's going to end is he's going to have to learn to trust other people, Mm -hmm. you know, because like that's, it's clearly setting it up for that. Yeah. And then when the movie like didn't end that way, I was like, huh. They Yeah. It's like I stopped halfway and was like so sure I knew how this movie was going to end. Right. Because because it's like you can't trust other people. You know, Jeff realizes from that story you mentioned that Finch actually doesn't trust other people despite him trying to tell this story about how he trusted people. Yeah. And he's like, why don't we travel at night and he's like because at night the worst thing of all happens you know you have Mm -hmm. to deal with other people right and i'm like oh this is the movie's gonna come to this point where like they have no choice but to request help from people and finch is gonna be like you can't trust people they're gonna like kill us and jeff is gonna be the one who's like we have no other choice and then it's gonna turn out the people are like super nice and accommodating and like that's a huge growth moment for Finch. And just that just doesn't happen. Doesn't this happen. Doesn't yeah. even come close to happening. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's not like that has to happen. And in some ways, you know, I would probably, if it had happened exactly that way, I would have been complaining that the movie was so predictable. But I do feel like as far as fix a thing to fix the movie, it's like either close that loop or don't have that loop, you know? Yeah. Either address the trust thing or don't bring it up. Why'd you bring it up if you weren't going to follow through on it? So that's. Well, yeah. I mean, the movie even like. So they break into some area at one point that is obviously. Booby trapped. Uh, inhabited. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And they steal some supplies. Right. And then they get in their RV and drive away. And the movie basically is like some bad people are chasing them. It's mm-hmm. like, you mean the people they just robbed? Right? Like, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Those other people are the bad people, right? Yeah. Well, um, I totally thought that was going to be. It was like the sort of thing where you know Finch assumes they are bad people, right? And that the big reveal at some point later in the film would be like they're not bad people. They're just right. other people trying they're to you survivors, know survive. Yeah. Too. And like Finch had one bad experience, and so he's convinced all people are bad. But like you know, right. you can't let one bad experience color your perception of the whole species, kind of deal. But yeah, well, and the, the it's, movie it's very so fascinating clearly, to me that the, we never even see those humans. Right, we see their the headlights. Movie very clearly indicates that these people are a threat, and we right. need to hide from them. Yeah. Right, and never revisits that question as to whether that was actually a good choice. It sort of assumes it was a good choice. So here's the interesting bit. So I did some like reading like interviews with Sapochnik after mm-hmm. I watched the movie just because I was sort of like I had some of these lingering questions. I was like, uh, well, the main thing was the question that I had was how did they do Jeff? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so apparently it was Caleb Landry Jones on stilts <laughs> uh. and like just to sort of be the physical thing and then mm-hmm. they obviously painted you know jeff in on yeah, top motion of capture maybe and i was like oh that's good yeah so he was like actually on set like walking around doing stuff acting with tom uh, hanks that's pretty cool with, that's cool but one other thing that i caught while doing this little bit of like research was the film originally does do the thing was planned mm. they filmed the thing that you're describing apparently mm. jeff uh, after so, spoiler alert. Auga. So after Finch dies, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, Jeff and Goodyear go to San Francisco and they go to the Golden Gate Bridge. And in the final cut of the movie, like right now, that's like the end. And they're like, right. you know, Robot and his dog just on adventures now, right? Um. But apparently they filmed like another half hour of the movie that Mm. was like the two of them encountering people. And Jeff was like conditioned to believe that people are dangerous and are not to be trusted. And lo and behold, these people are kind Mm -hmm. and, you know, like eager to help Jeff and Goodyear. And, you know, Mm. and Jeff learns that like, Oh, Finch was wrong. People mm-hmm. are like can be good and kind and trustworthy. And that's sort of like them closing that loop. Mm-hmm. And Sapochnik in interviews was like, um, I think all you needed to get that was the moment on the bridge at the end where Jeff is like reading postcards and he right. can see these kind notes from people who right, are still right, right. around. And they're just like, hey, come find us. We're going here, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's like. I mean, he's not. Watching. I don't totally disagree. I think that might be a little too right. brief. Of but a, it's just really interesting because I think like the pe- the person who wrote the movie and the people who made the movie had the same thought that you did, which is like, oh, yeah. we probably need a bit that's like closing this loop in some way and like paying mm-hmm. the, paying off this idea. And then like in the final like edit of the film, they're at one hour and 55 minutes and they're like, we just kind of need to end this thing. Like we got to get this <laughs> yeah. under two hours. Yeah. Uh, and if we do, and if we add this stuff, it's going to be like an extra, like, you know, it's going to be a two and a half hour movie and you know, that's too long yeah. uh, for whatever reason we think that. Um, but it's like, but yeah, that's an interesting point that you're making. Cause I think like you're not alone. I think a number of people had the same 
thought, and I can't remember, apparently there were like some big actors in in the end in those in the end and they just cut them out of the film i have to i'll do i'll do a little bit of like quick googling uh well well i was reading something literally just before we started talking so just tonight um which feels very different from what you're talking about and it might actually be different i just saw a headline that was like they that they had to change the ending to finch because it was too dark I heard because, that because of the pandemic, it was like they had a story that ended in kind of a maybe a dark way. And then, you know, coronavirus happened and they were like, you know what? Maybe we don't need to make a movie about like a depressing movie about a post-apocalyptic world right now. And so then they changed it to be more hopeful, which makes me wonder if this is like the third version of this movie, you know, like they, they had something dark and then they lightened it and made it more about trust. And then it was just too long. And so then they shortened it. Maybe that's the full, you know, a fuller sequence of events. Yeah. I, I saw the thing about it being dark. Um, and then I read the interview <laughs> With, oh, with so is that just a bad summary of the interview? <laughs> um, yeah, that was sort of my take is okay. like okay. the dark. It, it was um, I think they were sort of describing this ending with these people at the end of the world. Uh, and maybe I think just like a family living in like a post apocalyptic world, maybe Feels felt darker. like too, too similar mm. to like covid lockdown, lockdown type right, conditions. Right, right. And I, but I don't know, but I feel like dark wasn't necessary. I feel like that's like a head, that's like a clickbaity yeah. kind of headline. Um, yeah. But like, uh, it had like Skeet Ulrich, Skeet Ulrich in it, you know, and it's like, oh, he's like a name. He's like an actor that, you know, used to be a more of a leading, leading man. Um, so at any rate, like, yeah, they apparently they had a bunch of extra footage uh, that they just, they just cut. Yeah. All right. Well, that's one fix the movie. Let's see. Um, any other fix the movies? I think you brought up. Why don't they grow? Why didn't they grow stuff? Yeah, please. Yeah. Grow some stuff, please. Um, um, oh, you know, here's another thing that feels like maybe it was reshoots or revision that came late or something. Or it just didn't make any sense. But that scene where they're on the run that we were talking about earlier from the mysterious human, and then they have to hide under this overpass, mm-hmm. right? And and Jeff ends up pushing the thing, and then all the solar panels get crushed. Yeah. Then Finch is like, well, it's over. You know, yeah. there go our solar panels. Right. And then there's just no actual... <laughs> problem right. Right? no consequence yeah so that that to me feels like a miss some sort of almost like a mistake you know right it's like Chekhov's broken solar panels like you're not going to do anything with that you're just going to say it's over and then i guess you have enough gasoline to take you all the way to san francisco actually right why Un- why even make that a thing unclear <laughs> okay so that's another little fix the movie for me yeah um it's un I mean it's also unclear like 
what was the the plan was let's get to San Francisco because maybe the life is better there. That was basically have the extent. more supplies there. I forget. I remember he rules out north and east, but I don't actually remember why he rules them out. I feel like north was because of the weather, uh-huh. right? And south and east was, was like too many people. Yeah, north was like north and south. Was like can't go north, can't go south because like a weather conditions. I guess like maybe going closer to the equator is more dangerous because okay. of the more intense sunlight. And I think he was like there. There's like storms or something in the north. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think he was like, if we go east, it's people, and that's a problem. And right. therefore west, right? Process yeah, of and therefore west. and therefore west, which means San Francisco. <laughs> Right. Like the only city west of St. Louis is San Francisco. <laughs> right. When I draw a map, that's how I draw it. Like, I'm not sure you um, have to go that far. <laughs> but like that was the extent of the plan is like go to San Francisco and yeah. then see what happens. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, I, I sort of assumed the plan was then like then continue doing what I had been doing in St. Louis. But it's like you had a whole underground fortress in St. Louis. Right. W- you going to just hang out in your car in San Francisco? Like what's home base going to be? Un- unclear. I don't, know. I don't know. Like that was sort of the, that that sort of piece of it was just a little too fairy taleish for my taste. Yeah. Like because basically they were like we're going to go to the Golden Gate Bridge. Right. That's the plan. And I was like that's the plan, <laughs> right? The one place you definitely can't live, uh-huh. right? Like I mean, that's yeah. very romantic and very photogenic, but like, what are you, you know, this can't be the plan. But then again, I'm, I'm the guy who wanted the family in a quiet place to have a better plan, a better long-term <laughs> plan. So you can, maybe that's just my own bias there. Well, it, I, I mean, I think, I think there's a pretty straightforward way to fix the movie here though, which is rather than him have it, this kind of inexplicable plan of ant landing in San Francisco, the plan could have been, we have to travel west and, you know, they could have like stopped at every like the plan yeah. could have been like, we'll just stop at cities as we find them and see if they're a good place to stop. If or the not. conditions and are better, keep right. going west. And they even filmed enough to be able to do that because right. that they do stop in a city and then they flee that city. So that that could have been the plan, and they they could have just ended up in San Francisco, you know, yeah, from yeah, following I, I think, that plan up all the way up to San Francisco. I think that's right, and I think in some ways it would have been better uh, if he didn't have that San Francisco postcard like pinned to the front of the RV, yeah, because the when you get the story of that postcard, it's like my dad. This is like the only thing he ever gave me. And I don't know him and he abandoned me and my mom right before I was born. Mm-hmm. And it's like. And Jeff's would, like, you sure that doesn't have anything to do with you wanting to go to San Francisco? Right. But it's just sort of like, I feel like Finch, from what I can tell in the way that he Tom Hanks does the performance, like doesn't seem to have like a lot of, um, you know, affection for his no. deadbeat dad. It's just weird that he'd be like, I'm going to pin this to the front of the RV and like, this is where we're going to go because right. of this one postcard I received when I was 15 or whatever. Um, it would it would have almost been more interesting if he was like, 
yeah, we're going to do exactly the thing like that you just said, Dan, we're going to go west and we're going to like hit towns along the way and see. And then like and it would be interesting if Jeff was like San Francisco. Right. And mm -hmm. Finch is like, no, I don't want to go there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there there's nothing, you know, almost like in denial of like the fact that there's some sort of weird pull. And that would have yeah. been more interesting yeah. than what we got, which was sort of like. San Francisco is the place. That's the place to go because my dad wrote me a postcard when I was 15. Right. Yeah. I have no complicated emotions about this at all. Um, I like, by the way, that uh, Jeff is like, you said this was from your uncle, but I noticed it says dad. And he's like, boy, you sure don't miss anything, do you, Jeff? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. I mean, Sherlock it's not like this, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, it's not this really hidden detail. It's like it clearly says dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. You there's don't miss a, a thing. Secret, there's a secret cryptographic code in this postcard. Yeah. You wrote the word dad at the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I don't have a ton else uh, to, to complain about. I mean, overall, like we said at the beginning, I found it enjoyable. I thought it was a pretty straightforward, simple movie. I think it, I, th I think Sapochnik and crew miscalculated a little bit as far as the you know that final scene with all the photos yeah. on the golden gate bridge being sufficient to carry home the final message i'm like i could see how you might think that but i actually don't think it was quite sufficient for that right you needed to actually see like living breathing people and have them right. be kind for it to really you know close the close out that whole storyline yeah um but other than that it was still a very pleasant movie good characters good performances um great yeah. effects so yeah good time overall for me yeah i think the thing that i yeah that i will walk away with is um really frankly just like the look and feel of the film being something that is worth imitating Right. Like worth like bringing mm -hmm. that team back together to do more stuff. Um, and so that will probably be the thing <laughs> that I actually follow. I'll be like, oh, legacy effect or whatever they're called. Like, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, I'll uh, you know, I'll, tr I'll like I'll sort of keep an eye on what those people are doing. And I'm and I'm looking like, for example, one of the people involved in that um, like visual effects team. Uh, of course, did special effects in Jurassic Park, uh, right? And so I'm like, oh, okay. So it's like the best, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, you got the A players in here. Yeah. Um, so, and I, and I don't know. I mean, that's just me randomly clicking around and, and, and seeing one particular person who like looked like they were a relatively senior person in this legacy effects team and, you know, a co-supervisor. And so I'm like, okay, if that's like the caliber of person they've got, then, you know, Jurassic Park is like one of the greatest ever as far yeah. as like special effects. And so um, it's not a surprise, not a surprise that no. they were able to achieve something great. Um, no. And then I feel like Sapochnik has proved that he's capable of a more diverse stuff. I don't know that this wasn't like a home run, but it's certainly like, yeah, competently you know, directed. You've though, got yeah. my, you've got my attention, right? Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, glad I saw it, liked it fine. 
there's some there's some stuff that I think could be better. But you know, we say that we say that a lot of the time. It's true. Solid intro for, for Apple as their very first movie. Yep. Yeah, or or right. original content that they've ever created. Yep, that's not right. Bad. We do not recognize anything prior to this moment. Nothing. All right, but I don't think we're beaming it up. Sorry. No, no. Sorry, we'll, Finch. We'll, Sorry, Astronaut. We'll keep our powder dry for another day. That's right. All right. Well, that will do it. Uh, I think we we uh, we had a lot to say about Finch. We're done. We'll wrap it up now. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Adam. I'm Dan. Take care. Bye. Good night. Thank you.